Well, hello there, everyone. It's the Fairly Spiritual Show. I'm Doug Birch. On today's show, we're going to talk about the dark side of community. The church doesn't know how to handle abuse, spiritual abuse, physical abuse. But when people have been harmed by people who should have loved them, everything changes. The ability to abide in healthy community, to abide with anyone in a way where you trust people, becomes extremely difficult. On today's show, we're going to talk about this important issue, the dark side of community. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one, you're the only one worth living for, so I'm so glad you could listen to this uh, podcast, and uh, this is a very special edition. No, not like a very special edition of Blossom, uh, but a very special edition in that I'm going to talk about some issues that I don't hear talked about in churches, uh, talked about at conferences. Frankly, I don't hear talked about much anywhere unless it's specifically a conference dealing with spiritual abuse, uh, psychological abuse, or uh, physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse. Now, with that, uh, I don't... I want to just give some warnings here. I'm not going to go into uh, really deep issues. I think this hopefully is a safe environment for people, but uh, obviously some of the dialogue and the topics I'll be addressing, if you are someone who's experienced abuse, um, these are, are topics that could be difficult for you. So I just want to say this up front, that, that I am going to address some of the dark sides or the dark side of community. Uh, we've spent many weeks on the Fairly Spiritual Show uh, addressing uh, the themes from my new book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And I've been talking about the importance of community in carrying out God's plan and purpose for humanity. And I'd love for you to pick up this book. You can go to fairlyspiritual.org to pick up the book, or you can go to Amazon and uh, or Audible. There's an audio version and I'd love for you to purchase it and um, read it and give me your feedback. Uh, would love for you to do that. You can also follow me on Twitter at Fairly Spiritual. Go to the website, fairlyspiritual.org. I'd love for you to engage uh, what we've been doing on this podcast. But I've been going through each chapter of the book and just giving some perspective that some of it is about the book, some of it goes beyond it. And uh, today I'm dealing with chapter 16 from the book called The Dark Side of Community and dealing with what I think is a unique category that needs to have its own special area to talk about. Frankly, you could write you know, many books just on this area. But even when I wrote uh, this book, I didn't want people to think that I was being flippant about spiritual abuse or physical abuse or sexual abuse. It's really easy for someone to say, oh, you know, as a Christian, we need to know what the Bible says, and the Bible talks about community being important, so you just need to be a part of the family of God, and just gloss over the fact 
that many people, many people have experienced profound traumatic abuse that makes it almost impossible for them to abide in any normal fashion in what we might call a traditional church or even a non-traditional church. And what I want to draw attention to today is just some of the unique challenges that people face who've dealt with abuse and also just how the church must seriously or take seriously the uniqueness of, of the situation that people who've been abused find themselves in and how we must approach our relationships with people who've had that life experience, how we must approach them with a tremendous amount of grace and with very few expectations. Now, I know in a short podcast like this, I'm just going to say things not in the best way. I'm not going to be able to give enough qualifiers. I'm not a counselor, a psychologist. I'm coming from a pastoral perspective. So please give me grace as I don't express things in the best way. But my heart here is to try to facilitate churches and church discussions that take far more seriously the unique challenges that people have who've been abused. Uh, one of the things I want to address right at the beginning here is, um, and and I'm, I'm just going to kind of go what's on my heart, and we'll just see where this podcast goes, and I might not get to many of the things discussed in the chapter, but one of the things I've seen that's incredibly dangerous is the church often treats every person, or many churches will treat every person in a cookie-cutter fashion, as if all problems and all situations can be dealt with the same. And the simple truth is, we really don't know. We really don't understand. Now, I've faced uh, problems in my life. I've faced persecutions in my life. I've had bad interactions and bad discussions with people, and I've had people betray me and hurt me. But I must tell you, I have never faced uh, the kind of uh, sexual abuse or physical abuse that some of my brothers and sisters have faced. Uh, I have not experienced that in the least in a way where I can remotely understand what they're going through. I can maybe at some level say, I hear you, or maybe I can say I identify in some general way, but I must be very clear that I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to have a family member or a friend or a trusted person betray me, someone that should have protected me to harm me. I don't know what that's like. Now, in a church context, I've had spiritual abuse where a pastor has has treated me incredibly poorly, but I have had friends in spiritual situations who've had betrayals that go beyond anything I could imagine, and so I don't even want to begin to tell any of my spiritual betrayal stories. I've never had someone stand in front of the church and excommunicate me or lie about me or or shun me, or cast me out of the church. I've never had a, a pastor in private say one thing to me, and then public say the exact opposite. And the kinds of stories of even people who are listening right now, I have not gone through what you've gone through. There are things that I've gone through in life, uh, my own struggles, but I don't know what it's like to go through what you've gone through. And it would be, I don't know how else to say this, but I would be sinning against you if I came alongside and said, yes, I know what you're going through and I know what you need. I don't really know what you need, but I know that I have Christ and you have Christ and, and Christ 
is the one who knows what we need. So if we can facilitate a conversation or facilitate an environment where Christ shows up, then we'll be able to find a connection where we can abide together and find some understanding and we can find healing. You can find healing for the areas of your life where you've been hurt and I can find healing and we can find that place of restoration. But I want to bring that up at the beginning. It's just, it's profoundly wrong for me to come in and say, well, you, well, you know, you just need to trust Jesus and you just need to trust the church and you just need to show up and start going to church and attending and doing this thing and that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if if I was betrayed by a parent or I was betrayed by a pastor in some of the ways of, of the friends that I have, the stories they've told me. I don't know if I would ever trust God uh, the way I want people to trust God. I don't know if I would ever be able to abide in a church the way I want people to abide in a church. I want you to abide in a community in a certain way. I want you to trust God in a certain way, but I don't know the life you've gone through. And it would be a profound, arrogant statement for me to come in and say, oh, I know what you need. So I would say that first. Another thing I want to address is we don't understand some of the psychological, scientific realities uh, that happen to people who've experienced profound abuse. And one, one of the things I just want to address just briefly here, again, just really briefly, is a dissociation or a dissociative uh, personality or dissociative behaviors. And let me explain this to you a little bit. Again, I'm not a psychologist, but, but this is a, a behavior that happens uh, to dissociate. First, let me explain to you what dissociating is. A dissociating is a gift that God has given us. It's, it's what the brain does. And, and all humans dissociate at some level. And here's an example. Have you ever been driving along, you know, it's late at night, you're driving home on a long stretch of familiar highway or a familiar stretch home, and you've been driving, let's say, maybe like 10 minutes, and suddenly you realize you've paid no attention to the fact that you've been driving. Like the last 10 minutes, you realize, I, I don't even remember driving. I've been just driving, and I totally forgot that I've even been driving. You ever, you ever do that where you're like, oh my goodness, did I hit anyone? Did I stop at the four-way stop? What happened? Well, what happened there is your mind was dissociating. You were actually driving, you stopped at the right stop, you hopefully went the right speed limit, you were aware of what was going on, but your mind kind of split. And so one part of your mind was just driving, and the other part of your mind was thinking about other things, and you actually were able to drive without thinking about driving. The mind dissociated. You can do that while doing mundane tasks, where you're doing some mundane task, and you don't even think about doing the mundane task while you're thinking about another process as well. Now, we know when people do that sometimes, they can get in trouble. They can dissociate, and suddenly they're, they're brought back to reality when they almost hit a car or when they almost go through a red light. So that, that's not about abuse. That's not about some trauma. But dissociating also happens in moments of extreme trauma. And in my opinion, God gave us the gift of dissociating so that we could survive terribly traumatic experiences. So this is what happens. Uh, people who've been abused, let's say someone when they were a child was uh, physically harmed. And they're, let's say they were physically harmed by someone who should have cared for them and protected them. So as a child, they don't have any ability to protect themselves. And again, as I'm talking, I'm praying that the peace of God will rest on you because I don't want you to feel traumatized as I'm talking. So I just pray the peace of God upon you that, that I'm not trying to harm you here, but I want to talk about a process, okay? So when people are abused, and they can't get away from that abuse, the mind dissociates. And so while the person is being abused, the mind just kind of separates that part of their life. They just kind of 
just separate from themselves. Some people talk about it, it almost feels like they, they come out of their body. It's like they're not being abused. It's like someone else is being abused. Their mind kind of splits. It's like a part of themselves. And so a part of themselves is being harmed, but another part just pulls back from that self. They dissociate. So there's like two persons. There's the person who's being abused, the person who's being harmed. It's like another person. It's not them. It's like this other person. And then they preserve their own personhood or their own self by dissociating from the person that's being abused. That's a gift of protection. You, you see this with post-traumatic stress syndrome. People uh, who, who are in violent situations and war zones where there's no safety, where they pull back from that. And there's a part of themselves that's in a non-safe place, and there's a part of themselves that's in a safe place. The mind learns to dissociate, to separate those two worlds. Well, this happens. This just happens when people are in terrible situations. And, and you think about that's the only way you could survive, right? If you were fully present during the trauma, you can't survive. And so you survive by just, your mind just blocks that out, just separates that part of you. And, and, and that's another part of you, another place, another something happened to someone else, not to me. This is why you get where people have you know, suppressed memories and suppressed parts of their life. They're not, they're not doing actively saying, I'm going to suppress something. The mind just says, I want to take care of you. So we're just going to hide that. We're going to suppress that. We're going to put it to the side. We're going to compartmentalize that part of your life so you can survive. And you think about what a gift that is to you because you couldn't survive if it took over your whole mind. Well, this dissociating happens with people who are abused. Many people at some level, there's a dissociating. Well, here's what happens. Uh, this person grows up, becomes an adult, and, and let's say they, they grow in the relationship with Christ. They become a Christian, or they go to a church where they start growing in Christ, and Christ starts doing some healing in their life. And what happens when you start healing? Well, when God starts healing you, he wants to heal your whole body. He wants to heal your present. He wants to heal your past. He wants to make you a whole person. So what will happen when you are in a safe place? Let's say you're in a safe place where now you're away from harm. You, you have your own volition. You have your own control. Uh, what happens with people who have been abused, there, there, there comes this other area that they kept separate. These, these separate places begins to break through. So they're in church and they're worshiping and they suddenly have a terrible thought or a terrible image or a terrible feeling, right? Because that other area that they've kept hidden starts breaking through. It starts breaking through because God wants to bring healing and restoration and, and, and to help that person who's been tormented and abused. And so they're in church and suddenly they, they start crying uncontrollably or they have anger that they didn't think they'd have or they have just terrible thoughts that rise up and, and, they, and they go to someone and, and they tell them about those thoughts. Now, this is sadly what has happened in churches. Sometimes it's a new Christian or a... A Christian who's just made these wonderful commitments to Christ and they're growing in the Lord and they're excited about their faith. Well, they come up and they say, I'm, I'm, boy, I'm feeling tormented and I, I have these you know, terrible thoughts. And so the person will say, oh, that must be a demon. You must be being attacked by Satan. So let's pray against that. So they'll pray against those feelings. They'll say, you know, you're a Christian. You should feel good. You should feel great. You know, you, you're, Jesus Christ has died for your sins. You know, you're a new creation in Christ. And they start telling them all the good things about them. And so they pray against those feelings and they pray against those thoughts and they, and they try to cast those things out. They cast out those things. And so maybe the person feels good for a bit and they go home and they come back. 
And then it happens again. Those thoughts begin to rise up and those breakthroughs of those conflicting emotions and those conflicting memories. And they come to the person again for prayer and they say, you're being attacked again by Satan. Are you? So they begin to pray and to cast those things out. I need to tell you that, that that's not the way to deal with these things. That's not an attack from Satan. Someone has actually lived a divided or a dissociated life. They've lived where a part of their life has been kind of frozen in time, been isolated, been the door's been shut to that room. There's a place where there's just been, it's been hidden. And now it's breaking through this, this area where there's been abuse and harm is breaking through and God wants to bring his light and life into that room. And instead of casting out, and instead of praying away, we need to have safe places where people can just abide and let God integrate the whole person. And I want to encourage some of you might even have dealt with that, like you've been dealing with these conflicting things, and if there's any abuse in your past, it might be that God is saying, I want to find a safe place for you, a safe counselor, a safe psychiatrist, a safe Christian who understands where instead of praying these things away, where, where you can just abide in a safe place, at a safe altar, where you can just be there and let God be with you in that moment. That you don't have to pray anything away, that you don't you can ask for comfort, and you can ask the peace of God to be there and to be with you and to help you integrate this place and help for you to feel like a whole person and complete and for all the wholeness and goodness and rightness and all the wonderful things that God has done in your life, for all those things to enter into this place that has been kept hidden. And it's not been kept hidden because you did anything wrong. It's not been kept hidden because you're a bad person. It was kept hidden for protection's sake. Your mind just kept that place hidden and safe because when you were harmed and abused, you had no control and power, so it was protection, but now you're in a better place, and so God has come to bring resources and help and encouragement and healing. We need to have churches that understand the safe places so that when you go to the altar, people don't come up to you and start praying against that. They just can be with you and say, I understand what's going on. You're just... Right now, you're dealing with things, you're dealing with your past, you're dealing with these hurts, and we're just going to pray for the peace of God to come and the encouragement of God to come and for God just to, to integrate you in a way where you can feel whole. And even if you don't feel whole, you can know that you're whole and that God is with you. And that even if this always feels a little conflicted, it's okay. God has come here to rescue you, to heal you, to help you. We need to have a much better understanding. We need to have a better understanding when people have been harmed, whether it's spiritual abuse or physical abuse, they may come into the church and, and face something that just terrifies them. They run away, and instead of judging them and saying, how dare you run away, we just say, that's okay. We love you. It's okay. We don't judge you. You were here for a while, and you ran away. It's okay. We love you. You did your best. The door's open. Whenever you want to come, you can come. If you never come back again, it's okay, because we don't understand the pain you've gone through. This is a safe place. You may never be able to connect with us the way we want you to connect with us, but we're not your judge. And the fact that you were with us for a season, for a Sunday, for one Bible study, for a year or for 20 years, whatever, it's okay. This is a safe place. We're not your judge. God loves his children, and he knows and he understands. Church has to be a safe place, a place of healing, a place of integration, a place of trust. Instead of praying away or shaming away these things, 
Now, you can certainly pray, like if someone wants comfort, yeah, we pray against torment, we pray against, but it's not the idea of praying away as if these feelings someone is dealing with they shouldn't have. It's like we pray that God would come into that situation and help them. Now, some people deal with this. They say, well, I, I don't, I can't relate, Doug. I don't know how to relate with the hurts that someone has. And and you just mentioned earlier, we, we it'd be wrong for us to come in and say, I know and I understand. And, and thankfully... We don't have to come in and say, I know and I understand, because the power of the cross gives us a place to minister to others or minister with others. So often when we talk about the cross, we only talk about one side of the cross, but there's two sides of the cross. The cross is about Jesus dying for our sins. Yes, the cross is about that Jesus died for our sins, but there's another side to the cross, and this is the other side of the cross, that Jesus identified with the sins done against us. The cross is just as much about Jesus dying for our sins as it is about him identifying for the sins done against us. Jesus is and was sinless, yet he was sinned against. He was spit upon. He was cursed at. He was lied about. He was gossiped about. False accusations were brought against him. He was beaten. He was abused. He was stripped naked. He was defiled in every way. And I don't even think everything is written down that happened to Jesus. Jesus was sinned against, yet he knew no sin. There's nothing he did. There's nothing he did to deserve anything that happened to him. And no one deserves to be sinned against. But nothing Jesus did deserved any of the sin done against him. Jesus can identify with each and every one of us when we've been sinned against. Jesus knows what it's like to be abused, to be sinned against, to be harmed, to be rejected, to be neglected. Jesus knows what it's like for religious leaders to betray him. He knows what it's like for friends to betray him. He knows what it's like to be beaten. He knows what it's like to be stripped naked and defiled. Jesus identifies with the sins done against us. When we minister to the, those who've been sinned against, we point to Jesus. We say, I don't know, but God understands. God has walked with you. God understands. We have one that can cry with you. We have one that can weep with you. We have one that understands. The cross is not just about the sins that we've done to others, but it's also about the sins that have been done against us. And one of the saddest things is sometimes we spend so much time when we talk about salvation, you know, trying to get people to recognize their sins. And yes, we are supposed to recognize our sins, that someone comes into our church and they've been sinned against, they've been sexually harmed and defiled. And the whole sermon is about, you need to com you know, confess your sins to God and confess that you're a sinner and confess that all sin is sin. And and no one is righteous, not even one. And we and we bring them to this place where they're like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm a sinner, and I'm and you know I'm I'm just as bad as anyone else." And we don't spend any time to come to them and say this: that God saw the sin that was done against you, and He saw it as wicked and terrible. He saw the sin that was done against you, and He saw that it was evil. And he came to bring healing and to identify with you and to say that he has come not just to forgive you of your sins, but to bring healing to the sins done against you.
And if we don't say that, the person who's been sinned against just kind of feels worthless. Because one of the saddest things is people who've been abused, often there's this feeling of shame that somehow they caused the abuse. And they find this in studies. Obviously, we know you know, scientifically, we know that someone who's been abused, they're not, it's not their fault. It's not their cause. But psychological study after psychological study has shown that people who've been abused at some level, there's this feeling of shame that they did something to cause that abuse. And so you have somebody who comes in who feels responsible for their abuse, even though that's irrational. And then we come in, we say, you know, you're a sinner and you're worthless and you've done everything wrong, and you're just as bad as any other sinner, and we put them in this place where we say, you're just as bad as your abuser, and you're just as bad, and we put them in this place of shame upon shame upon shame, and we never free them from the sins done against them. I sadly forgot to preach the other side of the cross, and I still lament that. Early on in preaching, I spent so much time trying to convince people they were sinners that I forgot to help people who'd been sinned against. Both sides of the cross are important. Jesus came to identify with those sinned against as much as he came to free us from our sins and the sins we'd done to each other. There are two sides to the cross, the sins and the sins done against us. You know, it's so easy to talk about these things. It's just, I'm just preaching them, right? You know, just saying, this is what you need to do and that's what, but it's people, right? And we must have a greater sensitivity. You know, I've, I've talked a bit about physical abuse. Spiritual abuse is another one of those profound areas where if you've had one pastor, one spiritual leader betray you, and there, and there are some stories in my life that I, I just, I'm not going to share them, where I've had some betrayals. But again, even those betrayals, they don't, they don't measure up to the fact that like I, I have really strong parents who love the Lord have been a strong example in my life. And so they set a foundation of, of, of spiritual vitality and truth and trust. But if, if I hadn't had them, I, I, wonder, I wonder if I'd believe in God with some of the betrayals I've seen around me. So I, I would just urge, I would urge a profound grace to be expressed that when someone has been raised in a church with strong authoritarian leaders, and those leaders have misused their power. The fact that they even thought they had power to misuse. And they use that to harm and to manipulate and to control someone. And that person escaped that abusive environment. It's a miracle that they would trust any leadership ever again. And it's profound arrogance that I would ever assume that anyone should trust me as a pastor or even trust me now that you would trust that you should listen to anything I would say. Now, what I believe by faith is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and that he rose victorious and he poured out his Holy Spirit. And that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, not only is saved and forgiven of their sins, and not only is there restoration for the sins done against us, but we are given the Holy Spirit in such a way that the Holy Spirit can communicate to you and can communicate to me. 
So my job isn't to try to control you and manipulate you and say, you need to follow me because I'm a pastor and I've got these credentials and I've got these degrees and I've got this authority and I've got this doctrine. Or, or you try to convince me to follow you because you've got this history or that history, that that's not what's going to bind us together. But I have to trust this, that if I pray and I read the word and I gather as best I can in healthy Christian community and I allow myself to be, to be you know, health, in a healthy way, um, in discussion and dialogue with other Christians, if I place myself in a place of genuinely trying to grow in humility with the Lord, and if you place yourself in that same position, and then we communicate the truth as we know it, that the Holy Spirit will find a way for us to be able to abide together. That we can have meaningful community. That we can find a way to truly worship God together. And it might be different than what I fully want or what you fully want, but there will be some way for us to abide together in meaningful community. I have to trust that the Holy Spirit will provide the way. And it won't be because I guilted you into it, or you persuaded me into it, but because it seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit that we should do this very thing. I want to end today's show. One, I go into this a little bit more in detail uh, with the book, The Community of God. I'd love for you to pick this up. Uh, You can pick it up at Amazon or through my website, fairlyspiritual.org. But if you at all are dealing with abuse issues in your life, I want to encourage you to contend for your own health, find a good psychiatrist, a good counselor. Uh, you, you have a right to spend money and time and energy on your own healing. That's not selfish. If you're struggling with conflicted thoughts and conflicted emotions, uh, God does not come to shame you. If you're struggling with being in community in the body of Christ, uh, God does not come to shame you into community. And what I would ask of you is pursue any healing and help that helps you be the person God created you to be and helps you walk forward in freedom. And for those of you who have not experienced abuse, I ask of you to maybe take all your ideas and agendas and place them at the feet of Christ and maybe ask God for a greater dose of humility, a greater dose of not knowing, of saying, I don't know I want to be more open to love and accept and be willing to just let people be who they are in my presence and be slower to give advice and quicker to give a hug if a hug is needed. Sometimes a hug isn't even needed. I have to ask, is this something I could do? Is it all right? When I pray for people, is it all right if I touch your your forehead as I pray for you? It's complicated. But if I could do it in humility and in grace and not make it about me, but make it about serving someone else who was severely sinned against? And could we make it that our journey is not about us, but about doing everything in our power for the rest of this person's life to do everything in our power to be a blessing to them? And maybe there'll be a miracle in their life where they could trust me or trust anyone in community. I want you to know my goal is to bless you. I want you to be encouraged. Father God, I pray blessing. I pray encouragement. I pray hope. I pray peace that passes understanding. And I pray wholeness 
In Jesus' name, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your spirit make us one. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for listening. I'd love it if you could share this with people who need to hear it. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to this show on iTunes. You can go to fairlyspiritual.org. Uh, you can certainly pick up the book, The Community of God, uh, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, wherever it is sold. Uh, this theme song is by my brother Dan. You can find his music on iTunes. I'll see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. But you've spoken by your word. Your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one. dreams with you.